Hey, it's Richie Siegel, the founder of Loose Threads. I hope you, your family, and your team are hanging in there during these challenging times. In our new podcast series, Offense vs. Defense, we're talking with leaders across the consumer economy about how they're managing their business, balancing playing offense with playing defense. Defense is about cutting back as much as possible to preserve cash. Offense means making calculated investments and taking risks to put your company in a stronger position. Just like in sports, a team can't win by only playing defense, and the companies that can weather the storm and make opportunistic investments will emerge in a stronger position than where they entered. This week, we spoke with Lindsay Andrews, co-founder of Minibar, a marketplace for wine, liquor, and beer. The company aggregates inventory from tons of retail stores around the country and facilitates local delivery. While at-home beverage consumption grew rapidly over the last three months, the products people were consuming and the level of demand kept changing. Lindsay and I spoke about how the crisis unfolded from her point of view, how the company shifted into customer service mode, and how the pandemic has changed Minibar for the long haul. Here's how Lindsay and her team have managed the crisis so far. COVID really started to impact our business around the time Trump canceled travel into the U.S. or announced that. So I think that was about March 11th. We started to see the uptick and business kind of took off pretty quickly within a couple of days. And we were seeing, you know, 500, 600% growth in new buyers and it was crazy. So we definitely were not staffed appropriately from, for example, a customer service point of view. We were staffed for our normal business, not staffed for three, four X our business. And on top of that, there was additional complexity because a lot of liquor stores were inundated as well with delivery requests. They had drivers, you know, maybe not wanting to show up for work, so they were scared. So we did have an impact on service levels in terms of late deliveries. And then as it kind of prolonged, the entire supply chain was a little bit messed up. So there were increased out of stocks as well. So there was definitely more orders plus more issues. So a very, very large load on our customer service team. And what we found was we kind of diverted a lot of our tech team to building tools for our customer service team, as well as building to make sure that our site was stable and could handle all the additional traffic. I feel like I also should ask like, what was Q1 before all this looking like? And because that's probably an interesting juxtaposition to then, <laughs> I guess, March and beyond. Yeah, I mean, Q1 was looking like normal Q1. It's not the best quarter for alcohol sales. Q4 is always the best with holiday and stuff like that. It's a little slow. You know, you have Super Bowl, you have a couple things in there, but it's nothing remarkable. And actually, April is usually a pretty slow month for us because there are a lot of holidays and on holidays, people leave their homes in the cities and usually go to their parents or families' homes. So we actually see a dip in sales in April, whereas this April was our biggest month in history. And so it was insane. We were basically spending nothing to acquire customers and they were coming in droves. So I think by early April, we had already acquired more customers than we had in all of 2019. Wow. So what's your first thought as this is going down? It sounds like you, I mean, again, it makes sense, right? Beverages is like one of the first things people react to and you can feel the reaction, I guess, very quickly. Is the thought, wow, we're not prepared for this? Is it like, this is going to be a crazy ride? Like what's going through your head called in the first like two weeks of this and I guess the middle of March at this point? I mean, it was a lot of like putting out fires and being like, what can we do to help? What can we do for the customer service team? What can we do for our store partners? How can we make this easier? So it was definitely kind of focusing everyone there. And then on top of that, 
we had tons of inbound requests, which is off so good, like tons of stores reaching out to get on our platform. So we were trying to onboard them as fast as possible. Tons of advertising partners wanting to make sure their products were in front of the consumers since, you know, all their on-premise spend had basically gone to zero. All areas of our business were picked up in a meaningful way. It was fun. It was exciting. It was a horrible time. And I, you know, would rather there was no pandemic and no drastic increase in our business. But obviously, I can't control the pandemic. So we'll take the the silver lining. We are one of the very, very few lucky businesses that have seen an uptick during this horrible time. So I'm curious a little bit about what you saw from, I guess, your kind of retail partner side in terms of what were the different levels of like response from them in terms of you mentioned some were like sign me up as quickly as possible. I'm sure others shut down. Yeah. Others were slow. Talk a bit about like how that kind of played out on in the field, so to speak. We kept a running list of all the stores that were turned off for a period of time. Close to I think almost like 20% of our stores at one point were off. Whether that was for two days or two weeks or a month, it varied widely. Some stores reduced their hours, some stores increased their minimum to make sure that the orders were making sense since they could only do so many. But then some stores decreased their minimum and increased their hours because they really wanted to capitalize on it. So it was a really mixed response. Things have certainly, like in the past week or so, leveled out. Like people can now handle the demand, our stores are back on, they're back running. Customer service is staffed appropriately. We increased our customer service team by about 30%. We had to turn off some customer service features like our chat and our phones for a little while just because they couldn't handle everything, but everything is back on now. So we've definitely seen a leveling off. I mean, the demand is still way, way, way higher than pre-COVID, but it's dropped a little bit since April, especially as like the shelter-in-place orders have been lifted in some locations. So in terms of, I guess, the landscape, I guess, talking about like New York specifically, there's Amazon Fresh, there's Fresh Direct, there's mini bar, there's some of your competitors. How did I guess you see like the customer choice kind of play out in terms of was it because stuff was stocked out, like people were just going to the first place they could find it? Like are there people that had preferences? Because stuff's both, I guess, available in a lot of places, but also not at the same time, it seems. Yeah, I mean I think most people A didn't know about alcohol and I think a lot of people went to the alcohol specific sites. So we saw huge growth, but we actually saw the least amount of growth in Manhattan because so many people left. Interesting. So we saw tons of growth in other cities and in New York suburbs. So Staten Island grew a ton, New Jersey grew a ton, Long Island grew a ton. So people were definitely leaving and going other places in the surrounding areas. And then we would also see spikes. Like at one point, they thought they were going to deem alcohol non-essential in Colorado, and our sales in Denver went crazy for 24 hours. But then they were like, "No, no, 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 never mind. Alcohol is essential." So it leveled off and was okay after that one spike, and was just kind of a steady higher state. Does that change? I guess like some of the internal thinking on like who we're for in terms of did you think of it before as more of an urban thing versus something that happens in the suburbs? Is that kind of more the same? Like how did that, I guess, the migration of people shift, if at all? So we do have a very small shipping business where we work both with vineyards and with some liquor stores to ship within state. And we saw shipping kind of grow as a percentage of our business by almost 6x. So people in places we didn't have on demand were definitely turning to us to get alcohol shipped. So we saw a spike in that business. 
And then about 15% of our business is corporate sales. So like office happy hours. So that obviously went to zero basically. So there was mixes of what did well and what didn't do well. So we talked a little bit about kind of mid-March as that progressed like kind of into April. What was changing or evolving in terms of, I guess, managing the demand and what else kind of arose? We were able to get new customer service people onboarded and start training by kind of the first week or two of April. And the first week of April was our absolute peak. And so that really helped. And I think we had to obviously put everything on our roadmap that we were planning to build on hold. And we just focused everything on dealing with the growth and building the tools for the stores, for the customer service team to help with that. You know, we've seen our business shift. We've seen a huge spike in spirit sales. So I think it goes much towards the cooking craze, the cocktail craze kind of hit. So liquor sales really increased a ton on Minibar. And we saw also, you know, a lot of the things you would use to mix cocktails like Cointreau, Grand Marnier, Aperol, Campari, all of those grew more than many of the other liquors within the category. What about in terms of just the delivery person side of this? Do you employ them or do the stores employ them? Generally, the stores employ the delivery drivers. We do also work with some third-party logistics firms. If stores want to use those, we integrate. We tried to educate both the stores and the consumers on don't hand your ID to the driver. Just hold it up, put the bag down, and then let the other person pick it up. But this is a regulated item, so you can't really do drop-off without interacting with someone, which was a challenge because people didn't want to interact, obviously. Mm -hmm. So we tried to send tips and guidance to both the stores and the consumers on what to do. And also, hopefully, people were staying at home so that the delivery drivers were on the streets alone and that they weren't at risk while doing the deliveries. So hopefully created a whole system of people being a little bit safer with everyone at home and just delivery drivers for FedEx, UPS, all the you know amazing workers that went to work while we all got to work from home. In terms of customer communication, how did you kind of play out like how much we want to share about all this growth and the stuff that's working and breaking versus do we maintain kind of our normal communication strategy and cadence? How did that evolve, if at all? On Minibar, we started testing out different messaging. We started with a little bit more passive messaging, like some banners across the site, you know, orders are running late, but we still were getting inundated with customer service inquiries about where's my order. So we kept escalating the messaging. And finally, we added a pop-up to the homepage that was basically like service alert. Orders are running very late. And then added a service alert also in the confirmation emails. So we tried to add tons of messaging just all across our entire site, which obviously isn't the most customer-friendly shopping experience. But we sent emails about tips like, please order early in the day. Hopefully, you're staying home so (laughs) you're there to receive it at any time because everything was running so behind for a couple of weeks. Were there times where you were like, wow, like I wish we had our own warehouse and like our own retail store could do this or what goes through your head thinking like supply is kind of aggregated in everywhere, which means you have like limited control effectively over parts of that equation. We very closely tracked the stores that were getting inundated with orders 
and if they had to be turned off early or they were having tons of lates. And then our sales and operations team worked really hard and did a great job of adding more stores in those neighborhoods to help with the demand. And that served us well. You know, we did that very proactively in parts of Brooklyn because there was huge demand and in some other areas as well. So we tracked it very closely and put all resources behind adding stores in the areas that had tons of demand. Has this situation, I guess, like changed or confirmed kind of the longer term vision for the company? Like you see coming out of this different than you would have continued? Yes. So I think alcohol e-commerce has lagged many other sectors for online penetration and we've all been waiting for the catalyst. I don't think any of us knew it would, this would be the catalyst. So we've been in this business for almost seven years. We've 100% believe more bottles of alcohol are going to be sold online as time goes by, but it was a slow adoption. So this was kind of finally the moment we've been waiting for. And I think everyone's really excited, reinvigorated. It's like our moment. And so the entire team has kind of really stepped up and gotten behind it and are all firing on all cylinders, which has been awesome. And I feel like it's brought the team closer together. Everyone is really behind the mission and everyone's just like really excited and wants to like crush it. I'm curious to talk more on the marketing side. You mentioned obviously customer acquisition increased. You didn't really pay much for that. How have you approached marketing over the last kind of two or so months as you've seen CPMs drop and channel shift and so forth? We're very direct response driven. We're very conscientious of our cost per customer versus our lifetime value. So we've had been inundated with sales emails um, from different places. And I feel like now we're just like a little bit more bold or a little bit bolder. We're like, will you do a cost per customer model, like performance based? And a lot of people now are saying yes. So it's very low risk spend almost now, as opposed to paying for impressions, but not knowing if those will convert to customers. You know, we've seen a huge increase in spend, but mostly in terms of like promo code costs, because now we have so many consumers coming in. And obviously, the volume of people searching for alcohol delivery has gone up. So Google AdWords traffic and costs have gone up. It's really, I think, a lot is thanks to word of mouth and PR. It's interesting too, I guess, because you also have your own, I guess, marketplace, right? In terms of sponsored listings and so forth on the site. Yes. What's it like to have both sides of that equation or like what happened there? I mean, the brands flocked to Minibar as well, which was nice since their retailer spend kind of was no longer making sense because people weren't going to stores or on-premise spend went to zero because bars and restaurants were closed, unfortunately. So we saw tons of outreach from the brands wanting to work with us, which was great and we love. I think they also see the world is shifting like we do, that this is the finally the catalyst for alcohol e-commerce. So they're buying in for the long run as well. It's not just like let's buy ads for April and May. They're buying ads for the next 12 months and doing annual campaigns, which is great. What have you seen in terms of new brand discovery? Are you finding like customers are trying to just go back to the staples? Are you finding them very open to trying new things? How has that kind of played out? I feel like it's more what I was saying before about the cocktails. I feel like a lot more people are buying more variety and other liqueurs and stuff like that to make more complicated drinks. Tequila has grown a lot. Mostly the other liquors have grown a lot. In terms of wine, we still see the like, Red and white are the top ones. We've seen actually a pretty large decline in sparkling because no one's celebrating anything, sadly. And then we've also seen a large decline in beer. Hmm. 
Why do you think that is? I think people want like different stuff. Also, if they're stocking up on like paper towels and toilet paper, they have less room in their house and beer is the bulkiest item amongst, you know, wine, spirits and beer. So it just seems like fewer people are buying beer, at least on mini bar. I'm just looking on the site and seeing like cocktail recipes and book a bartender. I guess explain those offerings briefly and then have those been in play or have some of those had to be pulled back or so forth? Yeah, I mean, book a bartender really came from customers requesting, can I get a bartender? Where would I get a bartender? I'm ordering for a party. Do you have bartenders? So we realized that was a need and we really want to provide everything for the cocktail occasion. You know, we provide bartenders, ice, cups, mixers, like lemons, limes, all of that. So we started adding that in the cities we were in. And obviously right now it's pretty much off (laughs) since no one wants a strange person in their home or are having large gatherings because that would be irresponsible. (laughs) So bartenders are pretty much went to zero. And then cocktail content, we've had that for maybe a year up on our site. And so we're always building out that content and hopefully people are, you know, using it to satisfy their cocktail cravings and try new stuff. Do you have any thoughts on, like I saw, you know, in the city this weekend, a lot of restaurants are trying to open up as bars now just to get some sort of revenue in. It obviously seems like people are not going out like they used to anytime soon. There are no dinner parties happening or shouldn't be happening, et cetera. Does that cultural shift, I guess, impact your business in a good way, in a bad way? Are you guys thinking about how do we be part of like virtual gatherings and parties? Like how far does that go? Yeah, we've worked with a lot of businesses because now they're having, you know, like Zoom happy hours. So to help them send stuff to everyone on their team and stuff like that. So we have seen a shift in that regard. And that's kind of what our corporate business now is, is Zoom happy hours. Interesting. Just like distributed happy hour, basically. Yeah, our minibar does it every Thursday. We have a Zoom happy hour. Everyone, you know, makes their own drink. We actually had a cocktail class. Campari was nice enough to host a cocktail class for us last week. So we made Aperol spritzes and some other things. But we want people to go back out to bars and restaurants. They're part of this industry. We want them to thrive. But obviously, when people feel comfortable to go back. So, you know, we want to be a resource, a responsible resource. We don't want people, you know, on the road driving to liquor stores if they've been drinking. We want them staying home and being safe. So we will remain. And I don't think recession or boom times, people are drink regardless. So we want to be that resource for them. But I do hope the world goes back to both drinking at home as well as going to bars and restaurants to help those businesses recover. What has been the cheapest and most expensive lesson you've learned over the last two months? The most expensive, I feel like, is seeing the cost of all of our infrastructure multiply by many X due to traffic. And there's been a lot of like bot traffic from other countries as well. You know, I feel like maybe we're a bit more on the radar than we were before. So we get some of that negative traffic now. The cheapest, I don't know. I mean, I feel like all this PR has been amazing and we're so thankful for, you know, the industry, including us, because that's just helping not just us, but the entire industry move online, which we want. The more people know about the industry, the better we'll do. So that's really been fabulous because that was the biggest hurdle for us and the entire industry was awareness. If you think about like 2020 is over, you're in the 2021 and beyond, is part of you like worried of like, how do you replicate all these sales numbers now in a non-pandemic? Or like, how do you think about explaining this like in two years or, or where to go from here? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be hard next April to show a ton of growth. <laughs> but hopefully, I think we can find a happy medium. I read like Fred Wilson's email that, about kind of this, and it, he kind of said, take the average of what you were doing before and the peak, and your new normal will be the middle. So if it's the middle ground, we're very excited and happy to be going forward because that's much higher than what our status quo was. And so, and it will keep propelling the overall business. I've talked to other founders about like kind of the fog of war in terms of pre-COVID, you're thinking in terms of months and years. It sounds like in the early days, everyone's looking in hours and days. How has that kind of evolved? And I guess, what are you up to at this point again, in terms of how far in advance you can think and plan? Our tech sprints have gone back to like normal cadence. We're not like releasing new tools every day or two or like putting out fires. We still have tons of stores we can onboard, which is great. We're still talking to tons of brands for advertising partnerships. But definitely we've been able to like take a step back and look at the bigger picture and we're not scrambling every day and every hour, which has been a nice change. And now we can prioritize what this has also like surfaced and told us about our customer and things we need to build. Has the customer changed like who the target is or who you're flocking to? Or is it many customers now versus it was maybe more of a, a younger digitally savvy one before? Yeah, I think it was probably more of a younger digitally savvy one before. Our customer is anyone that's 21 plus and drinks responsibly. So our audience is very wide, but I do think more people are now utilizing it that maybe wouldn't have before, didn't know about it. Or, and also we've expanded our territories. So we are offered in more areas now since we've had so many stores reach out to us. So I think as we expand more and more, our customer base will get less urban because we're going to spread out. And I think also there'll be a lot of people leaving potentially like the dense urban areas as well. And I assume that tilts it more towards the shipping business and some more like local. Exactly. Gotcha. I guess having gone through all this, what is your level of, I guess, like optimism on what the next like year or two looks like in this category? I guess like we're seeing a really interesting mix between like people relying on the brick and mortar establishments, but buying fulfilling digitally, right? It's not saying like rolling in a ship from warehouses and so forth. Yeah. Do you see that hybrid model where I guess, you know, you guys started working on seven years ago, lucky enough was the right mix for now versus should you have just been a warehouse shipping alcohol or like? Yeah. I mean, I think we're still totally bought into our model. There are pros and cons. Like obviously since we don't own the product and don't have the warehouses and stuff like that, we make very little on an order. But on the flip side, it's a highly regulated industry. So we can work with Anheuser-Busch, Beam Centauri, like all those major brands because we're not a retailer, because there are strict rules in terms of three-tier system. So there are definitely pros and cons. Also, not doing the logistics or holding inventory has allowed us to scale much faster because the costs are much lower. We don't have to hire, you know, a delivery feed or buy bikes or vans or buy all the inventory before we sell it. So I think we still fully believe in our model. Marketplaces are highly profitable. You just need to get to a certain scale. And this has just helped us get there faster. Before all this happened, from a Headspace perspective, like, were you someone who believed a lot of the business was in your control and that your decisions had very clear outcomes? And has that at all changed in terms of, again, something coming out of left field that not a lot of people in the business community at least anticipated vastly reshaping industries, economies, et cetera, et cetera? 
I'm a firm believer in like hard work and innovation can do a ton, but also luck plays a large part in the outcomes or global pandemics, I guess, in this case. We're a venture-backed business. We're at the whims of the capital market. So while our business is doing really well, is VC deploying less capital and will it be harder for us to get the money we need to continue to scale and spend on marketing and people and stuff like that? In terms of like scenario planning, again, no one had this thing in their scenario that I know of from a business perspective. Going forward, how do you even think about that anymore if this is in the realm of possibility? Do you plan for this to happen again or do you just hope that it doesn't for 100 years? Like, how do you even think about that? I really hope it doesn't. I feel like we've all risen to the occasion when it did. So I feel like we will be in better shape if it happens again or if there's a flare up in the fall. But I certainly hope it does not happen again. Yeah. I will be cautiously optimistic. (laughs) But in terms of like expecting the unexpected, do you feel like your definition of that is so much broader than it ever was? Yes, but our team is like so nimble that I feel like in most cases, they would be able to adapt and do a great job. You know, maybe we'll miss a few sales or have a few issues, but that's what happens. Awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks. Bye. Bye.